Welcome to the Wolverine Digest Podcast, the best spot for objective and authentic coverage of Michigan athletics. If you want open dialogue, honest opinions, and in-depth coverage of the maize and blue, this is the podcast for you. And now, here's your host, Brandon Brown, joined as always by Chris Breitler. Would you rather be three feet tall or nine feet tall? Nine feet tall. All day? Absolutely. I just well, feel like there'd yes, be a lot yes. of complications with that, dude. But but like you'd probably be in the NBA. Yeah, probably. you can. You could find a way to monetize it. You can make yeah. some money off that. You know, that, I yeah, feel like it's it would it would be real hard. You know, like I've I've been at uh, you know parties and where there's like I don't know fifty to a hundred people there, and it's really nice being the dude who's <laughs> like six six. You know, because you can. See, <laughs> like where are you like where are you going with this, bro? I've been at parties before and like a whole pack of these little guys came rolling. No, I'm just that was I'm sorry. No, you always see, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of normal sized people and there's always yeah. one dude that's like, you know, towering over everybody and it's like, you know, it must be nice to like see everything from up there. So we're both about six feet tall. I think we've talked about that before. So I yeah. said, all right, are we three three feet up, three feet down? Where are you going? I'm going nine feet too. I mean, I do realize that basically every single thing you do in your whole life, in your whole house, your whole travel, everything would be modified and would be pretty in, in, uh, inconvenient. Whereas like if you were just a lot shorter, you could pretty much do all of those things still. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think you could probably turn that into some money. Like I said, if if it was just me, but nine feet tall, I definitely would have played in the NBA. Like there's no yeah. question about it. I was going to say, could you imagine what like an open gym would be like? You just dominate. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Would you be able to, like, like you said, when you go to a party, you know, if you're if you're six three, six four, like the chicks, they they notice the tall dude. What do they do? What do they do with a nine foot guy though? Nah, I think you're off limits. Nah, yeah, I think you're, a right, bit, you're a little bit too high. Like if you talk to like Boban or like George Mirasan or something, they probably be like, bro, it ain't, and it's not the move, man. It's not good. It's not good. Actually, Boban, Mar- Mar- I don't even know how to say his last name. Do you know who he is, Boban? Mar- yeah, yeah, the yeah. Seems like a real nice like guy. The, the gigantor hands. Yeah. Um, his wife's kind of a smoke show, so he he did all right. I think he's only like seven two though. So you're stacking another two feet on top of that. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with nine feet as well, but neither of them are ideal. Um, just try, to, just try to make it. Just try to make it, however you can. Oh boy, that I really when you were painting when you were painting the picture of being at a party, I just had like this <laughs> mental image of the of you said you said being like the tall guy standing out would be that would be cool, and I was I immediately pictured like the other thing. Dude, I only go to parties where there's small people, so then that way... A bunch way, of three-footers rolling in, yeah, like, what's like, up, bro? What's up, I'm, bro? The, I'm the cool guy. I'm the cool guy at the party. Oh, man. I remember, dude, our boy, Zach, we were just talking about him before we started recording. Not the tallest guy in the world. And I remember many times him being at a party with, like, me, my other buddy, Nick, my other buddy, Ryan, who they're both at least my height, maybe even a, a shade taller. We're all about the same, six foot, six one, and Alden would be like, he'd just be like... <laughs> <laughs> he would be so mad having to go to a party like that. And he's, I mean, it's not that big of a difference. He's probably, what What do you give Zach? 5'8", five, 5'9"? Five, I give him 5'8". Five, five, 
I don't know if he listens. We need to send him a link to this one if we're going to be talking about his height. I think he'll, he'll start, get a kick out of that. He'll, he'll get a kick listening. out of that. Hardcore Penn State fan, Mr. Zach Alden, our buddy. Um, we actually him. might have him on. We might have him on one of these days to talk. He's a smart dude. He knows his stuff when it comes to football and Penn State. So we'll see how that goes. All right, let's get into the actual show. No more talking about being tall or short. We can get into what's going on with Michigan. First things first, another another hire, man. Another addition to the support staff. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh have now hired Sidney Sims as the Director of Football Strategic Communications and Branding. Kind of a mouthful for her title there, but I think this is a really smart move. I don't know. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really know exactly what she's going to do, but when you read what that title is, Football Strategic Communications and Branding, she did some on-camera stuff. Uh, when she was at Notre Dame for the last 15 months, the social media, Twitter growth, Instagram, things like that. She was really influential um, at uh, the Naval Academy and some other places where she's been before. So she's got some good experience. And I think just, again, just another another tool in, in, the, in the toolbox that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan didn't have before, which is kind of crazy at a place like Michigan with all the resources and all the money that they can throw around that they, they didn't have a specified person for all these jobs. Again, Matt Dudek on his way out, and now there's like three to four to five people hired to kind of pick up the slack and do a lot of the things that he was doing. So I, I can't, I don't have anything bad to say about this. There's no way you could, because I think it's something that was necessary. And by all accounts, she looks like she's going to be, pretty important for for what Michigan football does. Yeah, it's it's exactly what we talk. I feel like every time we hop on a podcast, there's a new hire, and every time yeah. I think they're they're done filling spots on the staff, <laughs> they you know they they fill another one. I you know I'm not even going to try to pretend to to that I know a lot about her background other than from what I read in the press in the release, release today. Right. But on her Twitter account, she gave a what up though, which means <laughs> she's all good in my book. Like welcome to Michigan, glad she's here, and she seems excited to be a part of it. So, you know, what I will say is it is keeping in line with diversity with, with getting younger yeah. and and it, it just every time they make a new hire it becomes clearer and clearer to me that there was a uh, a real effort on on Jim Harbaugh's part to drastically change the makeup and the culture of his staff yeah no and doubt like about it. it yeah no doubt about it and I'm, I'm with you I don't I don't know a lot about what she did exactly I reached out to Brian Driscoll at the Notre Dame site and he said that she was real personable. You know, it was a COVID year. She was only there for one season. It was the COVID year. So he never really got to interact with her in person, which sometimes you get to do that. I mean, you get to know some of the staffers a little bit here and there, if it's at a camp or if it's at some kind of media event, um, you know, over the course of the years, I've got to know a couple of the recruiting people, a couple of the assistants a little bit here and there. It's not like they're buddy, buddy, but you get to have at least a personal interaction with them. It helps you, you know, form that little bit of a relationship and, and you move it on from there. But, but Brian said that on the surface and, you know, the, the few back and forths he did have with her with the, you know, whether it was a, a direct message or whatever, that she was great. And she was, she was just open and very personable and good at what she did and was pretty valuable to what Notre Dame did as well, as far as their brand and stuff like that goes on social media. So again, on the surface, it looks like a really good hire. Uh, and again, just another, another, uh, Another step in the right direction of getting a, a staff in place that's more equipped to do what big-time college football programs do on the regular. Uh, and again, Michigan seemed to be playing behind a lot of schools when it came to, you know, director of player personnel being hired, and now a director of recruiting, and a director of on-campus recruiting and visits, and now a person doing media and uh, communications and things like that. And I, and I wonder, with that word branding in there, if, if she will have anything to do with name, image, and likeness as it starts to get going a yeah. little bit. 
we talked about that with Courtney Morgan and his his walks of life that he has had that he's pretty well equipped for that. So, uh, again, just good all around, and I think another another smart move on Jim Harbaugh's part. Or, um, and and we'll see what her role looks like as uh, as the fall gets a little bit closer. Um, bigger news, not that not that that's not big news. I think that is a a, a decent development and something worth discussing. But the bigger news is that. Josh Gaddis very quietly received a contract extension within the past, what was it, a couple, a week, past week and a half, a couple last, days, whatever. Yeah, last week. I think it's been a week. Um, shout out to Aaron McMahon, who I believe was first on the beat with this information. And I, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this at, at length. Uh, the numbers that are there that Josh Gaddis <laughs> has been a part of where the offense was when he got there, where it was the next year and where it was last year, it's continuing to go down. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know how a person who performs that way gets an extension other than in the world of college football, he still had a year left on his deal and you can't, you can't be a lame duck coach on the last year of your contract. You either have to you either, you're either gone or you get an extension so that you can at least sell the, mirage of of longevity of continuity of being there past this next season i i don't i mean dude if he goes down again and and, and the numbers continue to fall i don't know how even though he just signed an extension he could be back another year yeah and and probably that's how the people that like you and i that are looking at this from the outside looking in that's exactly what it is i mean you know i get the whole deal of of having a coach you know with a contract or a contract extension in place and and how that can impact recruiting but i also think recruiting is a little bit different where you know, even if Gaddis was signed to an extension, I think recruits get how this works. You know, it's not like there's a false sense of security where, yeah, he's going to be there now forever. Like they understand now more than ever that this is a business. They probably understand that Gaddis has been struggling. And and I got to be honest, if I'm a recruit, I don't necessarily, and, and Michigan might even be on my radar. I don't know that Josh Gaddis being there for the long term is something that interests me, given what you see, what he's done with, um, uh, skill players, you know, players that like, if you're a top, if you're a top rated wide receiver in the country, why on earth would you come to Michigan given what they've done with their wide receivers? I mean, it, it, you know, people's Jones, Tariq black, you can go down the list. Um, and it seems like they just really haven't maximized the talent they have. Mm-hmm. So on one side, I get it. I get why you would want to have him under contract. And on the other side, I think, well, that's BS because I think people already know how it works anyway. And, and I think you and I are in agreement that, um, it, this has to be a, a, a show at year. If, if this offense either stays the same or regresses or continues to look mm-hmm. lost, no identity, he's got to go. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, that's a really good point that you make. Like the kids aren't dumb and other coaching staffs aren't dumb who are going to be using this kind of thing against Michigan when it comes to negative recruiting and saying like, you know, okay, Michigan's got a top three while the other two schools are going to say, Hey, how about you check out our wide receiver numbers, for example, versus theirs. And I don't really care if Josh Gaddis just signed that piece of paper, they'll toss his ass this fast. If it looks like it's looked in the past or worse. So yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I mean, you know, it's uh, it was with all the, with all the house cleaning that took place this off season, all the moves that Jim Harbaugh made and, Moving Sharon Moore up to co-offensive coordinator, it's kind of surprising that Josh Gaddis is still around. I mean, I know it's a, the only thing is that it's only been two seasons, and I say only because it, it was it was longer for a guy like Don Don Brown. It was Don Brown, my mom. It was longer for a guy like Don Brown. It was longer for a guy like Mike Zordich. Um, yeah, Bob Shoup was in and out of there. Brian Jean Mary was in and out of there. It's a little different circumstances in both of those cases, but still. 
I, I'm with you. I mean, he, you know, he came in, Gaddis, I'm speaking of, he came in, you know, fingers a blazing on the Twitter, on the, uh, on the Twitter sphere, all the stuff yeah. that he was going to do, all the stuff that everybody was going to see. And it just, it, it, there hasn't been any of it. And, you know, now a guy like Giles Jackson is like, peace, I'm out of here, dude. Like, this isn't for me. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Xavier Worthy, you know, that was a, kind of a mess, you know, all the way through. But, I mean, like, dude, if if, if Michigan's having, like, regular 1,000-yard receivers with double-digit touchdowns, it makes that decision to go somewhere else a lot harder for yeah. a guy like Xavier Worthy or, or a guy like Giles Jackson to stick around. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a head-scratcher in terms of, you know, being rewarded for doing poorly. I mean, that's, that's, there's no other way to put it. It's been a, a pretty poor job. You talked about the numbers before. I don't know if you have them in front of you. At this I don't have them moment, in front of me. The only thing I know bad, is though. that, yeah, and it's, and it's regressed. And, and I know that people want to give him, you know, a pass because 2020 was such an odd year and that's fine. But the, you know, good programs, still did well in 2020. And I just, I have such a hard time with, with the number of excuses that we seem to dish out around here. Uh, <laughs> say it enough. It'll work. Well, I'm, I'm, we've been saying it a lot. And uh, I'm, a, I'm like past, I don't even say it anymore. I used to yeah. like, I used to, you know, when I do a write up on a recruit, I would be like, you know, this is a, this is a tailor made speed and space kind of guy. I, I don't, I don't even say that anymore. It just makes yeah. me shake my head. Cause there's, there's none of that. Well, and, and what's weird about it is if you look at the type of wide receivers they're recruiting, it's not, you know, it's not like the Nico Collins type necessarily or the Peoples Jones where it's the big body, you know, sort of just toss it up in the end zone and they can go get it. It's the smaller, quicker, you know, type guys that you would expect in a concept called speed and space. And my concern is that there hasn't, I haven't seen like anything that would lead me to believe like, okay, we're going to utilize all of this talent and all of the speed that we have. Like I look at a guy like Roman Wilson, right? Four, three speed. And you got, you know, a guy like Sainer still, who's got the quickness and you have a lot of guys like that, but I just haven't seen any sort of like, if you sit back and watch the game, you can say, okay, I can tell they're trying to use these guys. I get what they're trying to do. I have no idea what they're trying to do. And maybe that's just my own stupidity as a fan, or maybe that means that there is genuinely not really a, uh, a focus or a, you know concerted effort to like do one thing really well. I just don't see it. Is that is that a little bit there more fitting? Go. There we go. That's what it. That's what it feels like. Oh man, that is kind of what it's been like. And yeah. I'm with you, man. I mean, like, you know, if you want to find out how to use a smaller receiver in space, put on the, put on Rondale Moore's tape. Just just watch what a school like Purdue with a very middling set of quarterbacks did with a guy like that. And look, I, I know, you know, he exploded onto the scene as a true freshman. I think he had like 120 catches as a true freshman, yeah. one, 114, 116, something like that off the top of my head. I'm not saying you got to come in and do that, but like, you know, Michigan's guys, a lot of the receivers that they, they, you know, a couple touches a game is all we're talking about. It it's just, weird. it's not enough. It's not yeah. enough. And we talked about that before, you know, you put on Michigan's offense versus, you know, some of these other schools and it's just like, it's just night and day. And again, a lot, another thing I hear a lot about when it comes to Gaddis is people, people will be quick, people who are still supporting him and still thinking he deserves more time and gets the benefit of the doubt. They'll say, um, it wasn't really him doing the running the offense. It was Harbaugh, but that's, that's against everything we've been told by both of them when it comes to these media availabilities. It's, and what exactly are you basing that on when you say that? I yeah, mean, I mean, re really, what are you basing that on? 
I, I do I do think that Harbaugh had his fingerprints on the offense a little bit. Um, I mean, from what I understood, there was going to be no like zero role for a fullback in Josh Gaddis's offense, but we still saw Ben Mason on the field at times. So to yeah. me, that makes me think that all right, maybe Harbaugh is having you know giving his input and putting a little bit of a stamp on this offense. But regard well, like whoever was doing what, it just it didn't work. You know, the, the running numbers were pedestrian at best. The wide receiver numbers were worse than that. The quarterback play has been, I don't know, slightly above average, I guess I would say. It hasn't been hasn't been horrible, but it certainly hasn't been enough to elevate everyone around them. And so you just you just wonder what it's going to look like in year three. And will Sharon Moore being in the room and being as a part of the uh, of the equation, if it will make it look much different. And he's he's got plenty of his own stuff to worry about as a first time O line coach trying to figure that out. So I still just wonder, you know what what um, I guess not what was the motivation because the motivation is to have a better unit. But what what exactly pushed Jim Harbaugh to promote Sharon Moore? And more importantly, what does it look like? Like how much more is he involved in what is he going to do that might change how the offense looks? That's that's what I'm most interested to see. I, I just yeah. I don't know. I mean we've had these talks a ton. I mean, if Jim if this is Jim Harbaugh's last year, then the, the contract's probably a boot point for Josh Gaddis anyway. But you know, we'll see. There seems to be a and lot I, of people, and I think recruits understand that. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of people who think Harbaugh is definitely going to get two or three more years based on the changes that he's made and the COVID year and things like that. I'm not, I'm not in that camp. You think definitely past this year, right? Are you, you backed off of that a little bit now, but we're still thinking that's probably the most likely. Dude, I don't know what the hell to think. I mean, I based on based on what it's been, I would say, yeah, for sure, he's going to be here beyond 2021. Because if if things were the way I thought they should be, he wouldn't be here now. And that's not that I'm not trying to be an asshole when I say that. I'm just saying that I think based on the total body of work, it just hasn't been good enough, you know. And and that's the harsh reality. But. Um, I would think that everybody who's still remaining and still a part of that coaching staff has a pretty good understanding that this is an important year coming up because I don't, if nobody in that building should feel safe, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. We've talked about this before. I do think there are a handful of guys who should be, you know, what, whatever happens with Jim Harbaugh, if this is his last year or not, but whenever he, whenever he does move on, if some of these guys are still around, they would be in serious discussion for retention a guy like mike hart steve clinkscale sharon oh, moore would be another one these young younger guys who who seem to be climbing the ladder pretty rapidly and have really bright futures ahead of them so you know i would have to think again these these guys aren't dumb they know the, how the business works and i you know i've been asked a couple of times why would a coach with such a promising future come to michigan right now when it's you know there's a lot of turmoil and i think that's why guys know what they're worth they know their value and they know that if michigan's a place that they want to be at they've got a chance to stay no matter what happens with jim harbaugh so you know it's all about 2020 that's all about 2021 i mean that's that's the bottom line it's about what it looks like this year um on on in all three phases because now you've got you've got a you've got a brand new defense You've got Josh Gaddis in a prove-it year, third year on the offense. You've got a new special teams coordinator in Jay Harbaugh, which we hardly ever even talk about. But but all three phases are getting some sort of a facelift. Um, again, offense, we don't know what that's going to look like, but Sharon Moore's in the mix now, and he wasn't last year. So all three phases of the, of the team are going to look different in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, when you come off of a two-and-four season, how it looked last year, like that's that's necessary. That's why it's... That's why it's going down like this. I don't 
I don't know. Are you still? Uh, I, we are. We just. I just asked you about the Harbaugh future thing. Are you still? Are you still sitting on nine and three? Because we're about to jump into this schedule a little bit and go game by game and rank these opponents in from easiest to hardest and not really talk about the win or loss necessarily. But I mean, like that's part of what you know. Well, this is a super hard game. You can kind of figure out that that would be a loss or vice versa. So are you still there? Are you still at that spot? I am still at nine wins, and I'm even more confident about that now, Whoa. Given, given the fact that there's going to be 115,000 people in the big house okay. week two in prime time. So I wasn't even sure. That I, you know, There might have been 20,000, 50,000. I didn't know what the deal was going to be, but a packed house in prime time with a big game, and, and, and this team and this program knows that everybody's just waiting for them to, to, to fail, and they want to see it happen. I think you're going to see a real hungry, motivated team at least – I would expect that, you know, we, we've seen before where, you know, you think they're going to come out and look a certain way and they look the complete opposite. And, you know, if, if you and I are both in agreement that we think that week two game is the fork in the road. Yeah. And I think if they get that win, they get to nine wins. And, and I feel even more confident about that now, simply because it's going to be a packed house. There you go. There you go. So Chris is still sitting at nine. I'm still sitting at seven. I mean, like we, like I pretty much said, I'm I'm not going to come off of that until we see something this this fall. I mean, once once we see how it looks week one, and then especially week two, we'll, I'll be able to make a a more educated guess. But based on how last year went, how this year looks, the question marks at certain positions, I'm still sitting there at seven and five. So that takes us right into how that schedule does look, and we're seven and five, or nine and three, or eight and four, six and six, wherever you're at, how that looks and where it comes from, and ranking Michigan's opponents from easiest to most difficult. Um, there's obviously, a, there, I think there's two gimmies. I think the bookends on this list are gimmies. Um, and Chris and I have not discussed this. We have not compared lists. And I kind of did that on purpose because I wanted to see how accurate or how, how consistent we were. And I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's all the, a lot of other teams have question marks too, but um, so since it's your list and it was your story, I will go first. You will yeah. jump in and correct me since you Ooh. probably put a little more research into writing the story than I did when I just looked at the schedule just a little bit ago and wrote okay. these uh, wrote these twelve games down. So uh, first on the list, easiest game I have NIU, and I don't I don't really think it's close. Um, maybe maybe you don't have that. I don't know. You kinda... Oh no, yeah, I, I, okay. I have that down as the easiest game. For uh, okay, sure. they went zero and six last year. It's a MAC school that's not playing very well right now. Um, I think that's pretty much a layup. Not very many layups on the schedule, but I think that is one. It should be. It sure as hell better be a layup. And yeah, you're right. 0 and six in 2020. Last time they met, Michigan won 33 to 17. That was back in 2005. So it's kind of irrelevant now. Um, interesting to note, Rocky Lombardi's up there at Northern Ooh, Illinois. Right. I don't know if he. I, I don't know where he stands on the depth chart. I don't know how all mm-hmm. that shakes out. But it would be interesting to see, you know, a former Spartan quarterback who came in and torched Michigan uh, in 2020 return to the big house. I still think they're going to get their. Uh, I think Michigan's going to defeat them. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to swear too much here on the podcast, but I think it's going to be an easy win for Michigan. Going to shave the Huskies, <laughs> skin them. We can we can take the swear word out of it, but make it violent still. I don't know. Anyway, uh, number two, the other MAC opponent, week three uh, matchup against Western Michigan. It's just a talent thing. I mean, Western Michigan has been a pretty good MAC school. But they're they're not the they're not the Western Michigan Broncos of the PJ Fleck days. But they do have some players. 
they put a guy or two in the NFL every other draft or so. So they, they'll have some guys who can do some things, but it's a talent thing. It's it's a, a home game again for Michigan. They'll kind of be lathered up and hopefully have some figure have some things figured out by week three. So I think Michigan probably rolls in that one. Probably, I mean, if they're not like a three touchdown favorite, there's probably something wrong. But that's that's about where I would put it. Yeah, same. I think this is one of those games where Michigan might give up a touchdown early and it's like, oh, you know, is this is it really going to be this type of day? But I think by the end of it, um, it's it's I I anticipate it's going to be a blowout game. So, yeah, Western Michigan gets my you you have them number two. I put it number 11 is the countdown. But, yeah, second easiest game. Gotcha. Okay, so next up, third easiest opponent on Michigan's schedule will be Rutgers. Um, Doing better things with Greg Schiano at the helm, obviously. Michigan went to triple overtime with them in Piscataway last year. But it's still a Rutgers team that just that hasn't recruited very much talent over the last handful of years. They're, They're doing better on the recruiting trail and they they're going to be coached better with Greg Schiano and they're going to be more confident and they're going to be more confident against Michigan. Let's face it based on how it looked last year, but I still think just, you know, on paper, what that team is all about, the level of talent that they're, they're still working towards. I think Michigan is, is just quite a bit better at every position and, and across the two deep really. So I got, I got Rutgers as the, as the third easiest opponent. Yeah, same on my list. And I mean, Rutgers wasn't good in 2020. They were still a three and six, three and six team, um, even though they took Michigan to triple overtime. They still lost to a bad Michigan team. Mm-hmm. I think Michigan's going to be better in 2021 than they were in 2020. And I don't think Rutgers is going to be all that much better. And so, yeah, I, to me, this is another one of those games where, yeah, it's a conference game, but it should be an easy W. Fourth easiest game in this, we, we may start having some mix-ups here. I think most people would look at Michigan's schedule and probably have those as the three easiest games. Yeah. Uh, the fourth easiest game, I have Michigan State. I still think that the Spartans are building. I still think the that disrespect. they're... I, I know, I know, and I know <laughs> they beat them last year. And look, that that... Michigan just that was embarrassing on every level in every sense of the word it was an embarrassment and for Jim Harbaugh to start off 0 and 1 against Mel Tucker he should be he should be ashamed and embarrassed and you know just it's it's unexcus- inexcusable but I I still think on the surface they're just not that talented yet it's still just year 2 under Mel Tucker year 1 is about the toughest first year for a head coach I can imagine you know with all the COVID stuff and trying to trying to figure out what you're doing and where you're going and who your team even is without seeing them in person hardly at all and so I I still think Michigan State is just not where they're going to be under Mel Tucker and I know they got some transfer guys they got a nice running back coming in Kovaris Crouch coming in a quarterback transfer so it's going to be a different looking team but I still think that they're they're just not that talented yet, and Michigan should have an advantage. But we all know that doesn't mean anything. I mean, just look, go back one season and look at Jim Harbaugh's overall record since he's been there, 3-3 three and three against the Sparty. So we'll see how it looks on the field, but I got him at the fourth easiest. Yeah, and, and I think you make some good points. The, the, the only reason I disagree and I don't have him that early is that there's just there's a juice that's flowing in this one and there's always going to be you know an extra something that's a part of this game and I think that sometimes that changes things it's going to be an East Lansing so there's going to be even more incentive for Michigan State to show up um, I do expect Michigan to win I just think it's going to be a little more difficult for for me what are we at the fifth toughest? fourth 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 so I've got Northwestern uh, late October coming to Michigan stadium. I think it's the first game after the bye. Um, and so I expect, you know, based on, I'm kind of pulling out and look at, 
how I think the whole schedule is going to go. They play Wisconsin right before the bye. I do think Michigan's going to lose that game. So they go into the bye. They get a chance to regroup. They come out. They get Northwestern at home. I think that whatever issues need to be corrected at that point, my hope is that they've done the work to do that. Northwestern can be a pesky team, but I think they've also lost quite a few guys mm-hmm. uh, this past off season. And so I expect Michigan to handle them, but man, they did have a solid 2020 season. They were, they were seven and two. Um, and they always seem to show up and give Michigan fits when you least expect it. And so it's one of those where, you know, now we're into the, now we're into the part of the the schedule or the teams that Michigan plays where it's like, if it goes either way, you're not going to be like completely shocked. Yep. No, I have them next. I had them at the fifth easiest game. Again, a talent thing, a, uh, you know, kind of regression type of thing back to the mean a little bit after a year where they probably overperformed a little bit, but, but you're right. The, the, I can't remember exactly what number they were at, but I think they're in the bottom 10 in the whole country for lost production or in terms of they've, they've lost more than almost every school in the entire country as, as far as their starters go and their offensive production, defensive um, snaps played, things like that. So that's, that's hard to replace at a place like Northwestern that does not recruit top flight four and five star guys. They, 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 you know, they recruit two and three star guys and develop them and get the most out of them. Pat Fitzgerald is a really good coach, but they're just not going to be that good. I I just think on paper, they're not going to be that good. And I I really did go back and forth a little bit with this one here. I kind of went the other way that you did on Michigan state. I just think Michigan, I mean, dude, if they're not pissing vinegar before that game, like ready to kill somebody, (laughs) then they shouldn't even put the helmets on. So like, I, I think that game ends up being so meaningful that it ends up being easier for them, if that makes sense. But I'm, I'm with you. I think Michigan State and Northwestern are pretty comparable in terms of not having a ton of talent. Uh, you know, Northwestern does have to come to Ann Arbor, so that's another another uh, another factor, especially now that we know the fans are going to be back. But I have Northwestern as the fifth easiest game on okay. the schedule. Got it. Uh, for me, well, see, now this is, this is where things change a little bit because I had made this list prior to – the announcement that fans were going to be back. Now I know that that was in Michigan, so I don't know what's going on elsewhere, but I would expect to see, you know, I think most big 10 programs are going to have full stadiums or at least close to full stadiums. I had Nebraska at number eight. And the reason I I'm a little bit hesitant now is because if you go to Lincoln, Nebraska, I don't care what, what the makeup of the team is. That's a tough place to win a football game in a packed house. Um, And then you've got, you know, you've got a talented returning quarterback there. And so, it could get difficult. Again, Michigan really hasn't shown that they can show up in a tough environment on the road and get an easy W, even when it's a team that they should beat easily. Uh, but I'll keep Nebraska there for now, just because they've been so bad under Scott Frost. Um, last year they were three and five; they were a pretty bad team, and it, they're they're bad even though they have talent. And so, I, you know, no matter who they have coming back, what's going on, I still think it's a W Michigan should get. I had Nebraska next, so again okay. we're not we're not too far off. You've obviously had Michigan. You haven't mentioned Michigan State yet, so you've got them a little further down the list than I do. Um, but I have Nebraska as my sixth easiest game for Michigan for all the same reasons. It's on the road. That's tricky. Adrian Martinez is talented. Scott Frost, man, I thought he was like a star. I really thought he was going to kill it out there. Going back to his alma mater, 
the way he was, you know, running scores up uh, at, at Central Florida, the offense that he had, getting a dual threat guy like Adrian Martinez, I, I just thought he was going to kill it. And it's been it's been awful. I mean, he's been bad out there. So yeah. it surprises me because, like you said, they do have some talented guys. I know they're dealing with a few transfer issues here and there, like Michigan is guys who were contributing in the past and just decided, like, bro, this blows. I'm sick of being in freaking Nebraska and not winning games, so I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what they're dealing with. So. <laughs> I, I expect Michigan to win that game, but yeah, the the you know the, the the crowd factor mixes it up just a little bit, but still, Michigan's a much better team, and and they just haven't figured it out yet. So I've had I have them pretty much in the middle as the sixth easiest team. Okay, uh, I go with Maryland at this point. Maryland is. Maryland is a, is a wild card to me. I, you know, it was a couple years back that they took Ohio state, you know, all the way to the edge. I don't know. I don't remember if the game ended in regulation or went to overtime, but they've, they just seem to show up when you least expect it. They're kind of like Northwestern in that way. Um, and I believe Michigan goes on the road to play Maryland the week before they play Ohio state. So this one's going to be a little bit tricky. It's late in the year. They've got a big, you know, you, you think about that Ohio state game being one or two weeks away. It's hard to imagine that there's going to be anything else on anybody's mind other mm. than is, is Harbaugh finally going to do it? Is this the year? And if he doesn't, what happens? And so I think it's going to be difficult because minds are, you know, it's going to be hard to maintain a focus. It's going to be late in the year and they can be a pesky team. Um, you have them at six hardest. I have them at number seven counting down on my list there you go i have maryland next so again we're, we're like a we're like a team off here or there michigan yeah. state seems to be the one outlier between the two of us um but i'm with you i think that's a great that is a great term for maryland is wild card they have some talent they have talia tagovailoa obviously that's Tua's younger brother so they, i mean he can spin it man he can really throw it around he was at alabama decided to transfer uh, transfer to maryland and they just have like a, they have a sneaky little bit of talent at a at a few different spots because of where they're at. They get they get a four or five star kid from the DMV every other yep. year or so, and so th- they that's why they do what they do. They have enough talent to pop up and bite you every once in a while, but not quite enough to sustain it. And Mike Loxley has struggled there. They've lost a lot of games over the last couple of years since he took over, but he's he got a lot of credit for what Alabama used to do on offense. Um, so it's it's like a they're, they're like a team that could be on the verge of, of really taking a leap forward. I don't know enough about the makeup of their entire roster to know if they're ready to do that. You know, what's it look like in the trenches? But I know they've got a kid at quarterback who can spin it. They've got one of the more talented receivers in the whole entire league in Raheem Jarrett. They just inked a five-star linebacker this past year that I think was maybe the highest-rated recruit they ever got. Like, they've got, they've got a guy yeah. here and there like that and so they can be a little tricky and like you said it's on the road it's a week before ohio state that's trap that's got trap game written all over it uh but but i have them at yeah seventh seventh easiest so i guess now we're kind of getting into difficult like it's no longer easy at this point we're past the halfway point so i have maryland as kind of the first game where it's like it feels a little bit more like a toss-up than the other than the other six i can't that's kind of how i have like i have like six games where if i had if i had to put money on it I would put money on Michigan to win. And then the other six, I'm like, God, I really don't know which way I would want to go with that. And that's where Maryland is. They start that off at the seventh, seventh easiest team in order. Yeah. And starting off that stretch for me is Washington. And I know, I know Washington's a good team, 
But I do know uh, I, his name escapes me, but I know they lost one of their key guys on the defense. He's going to be out for the year. I know that that's a painful loss. I believe he was a linebacker. They go, they yeah. do they do a DPJ thing with him because he's got a super long name. It's like it's like <laughs> right. LTP or something. I mean, right. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna full screen you. And you talk and I'll look that up because I do want to know his name. So so I know you know th- there's going to be some impact there, but. Yes, it's a tough game, but I go back to what I said initially. It's in Ann Arbor. It's it's one of the biggest games of the early college football season. You're going to have a full stadium there, and you're going to have a highly motivated Michigan football team that wants to come out and prove that they are who – Everybody thinks they're not, which is, you know, everybody thinks Michigan is a phony. And the second they play some legitimate competition, they're going to fall flat on their face. Well, this is Michigan's first opportunity early in the season to start to change that narrative. Um, I don't care what happens with Washington for the rest of the season. I don't care if they go, you know, if they lose another five games after Michigan. This Mm -hmm. is a big game. Make no mistake about it. It's a big game. If Michigan gets the win, kudos to them because it's going to be a tough win. But I put Michigan or I put Washington at that spot. They they've got talent. I've I've got them next, so I'll launch right into I'll launch right into my spiel about the Huskies. They've got talent. They've got a defensive-minded head coach in Jimmy Lake who's going into year two, so he's still trying to prove himself and work on that culture. And he's been there, but as the head guy, it's only year two for him. Um, and that young dude, that young man's name is, I'm going to butcher it probably, Zion Tupuliola Fatui. It's not bad. I probably did all right on that. That was that. actually but anyways, pretty good. Yeah, ZTF they call him because obviously it's a lot easier to say that. But, yeah, well, he was their leading sacker last year, tore his Achilles, so he's obviously out for that game. And that hurts a that hurts a team who's pretty good on defense. But, I mean, we're, we're not talking about a, a team that recruits, you know, five five-stars every year. They get their share of talent out west. And they've got a good coach, and they've got a good system and a winning culture there from when Chris Peterson was running things, but but they're not they're not even as talented on Michigan as as talented as Michigan is on paper. But they're close, and so to your point, this is one of those. Let's see Michigan win a game that maybe they shouldn't win, or maybe that they're it's going to be a you know a, a two point spread or a a, a pick 'em game almost. Michigan's got to start winning some of those games. It is in Ann Arbor. It is going to have a lot of fans there. It is at night. It's prime time. I mean like that's the that's the perfect formula for a statement at the beginning of the season that Michigan needs to make. It's not going to be easy and I think Michigan is going to lose that game, but I have them I have Washington at number 8 working our way towards the hardest opponent. And, and it's a safe bet, right, that Washington's going to be ranked in the top 25. I mean, there's no yeah. – and, yeah. and, and higher than Michigan, likely. So it's, you know, it's going to be one of those scenarios where it's a game that Michigan typically doesn't win, and they're going to have to go out and prove it. I um, think Washington will be probably like 15 to 18, and Michigan's not going – I mean, they're not going to be ranked, you know, not after two yeah. and four, and no, yeah. there's no so there, So there you go. So this is, a, this is one of those games where – they just have to show up and they have to get it done. There's, you know, there's no other way to look at it. Next on my list, Michigan State. So I have them a little bit further down for all the reasons I said before. Yep. No matter how bad Michigan State seems to be, especially based on what happened last, like in a rebuild year when they pretty much had nobody and all of a sudden, you know, who was it? Ricky White was his name. I, you know, yeah. I, I can't remember. Yeah, freshman I mean, receiver. Right, comes out and gets like 250 yards receiving or something like that. It just seems that whatever it is in the players that Michigan State recruits, it's something in their DNA where when when they line up against Michigan, it's kind of one of those 
games where it's like you never know what the hell is going to happen, and it always feels like a true battle. So from that standpoint, the fact that Michigan lost, they're coming to East Lansing to take back something they think is theirs for the trophy game. I think that there's going to be a lot of energy. I think it's going to be a passionate game. I think Michigan gets the W, but I don't think it's going to be easy, and I think Mel Tucker and that Spartan team is going to be extremely confident heading into that game. It's like a, I feel like the, excuse me, I feel like the lame-ass TV uh, or like movie sports announcer, like you throw out the records in this one, Jim, (laughs) but like you do, man, like you do. Jim Harbaugh three and three against Spartans and really should have been, I mean, you know, we we can go back to the punt, you know, the, the trouble with the snap game, obviously. And then last year, like Michigan just had no business losing that game. So well, and, and let's let's be clear, you know, we're talking about whether or not Harbaugh returns after 2021 based on what the season looks like. He absolutely cannot go 0-2 to Mel Tucker. You, no. you can't you can't allow a first year Michigan State coach to come in and beat you two years in a row when you're entering your seventh year. It just that can't happen if you're Jim especially, Harbaugh. Especially with the makeups of the roster. It's not like right. it's not like Mark D'Antonio had to unexpectedly step down a year after he made the playoff or something and Mel Tucker inherited this roster that was ready-made to compete in the Big Ten. Like that roster is devoid of talent. Like yeah. they like especially they're going to be better this year, but last year it was bad. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. That's uh, you, that will be. Oh, and six against Ohio State would also blow, but zero and two against Mel Tucker would would be would be really bad. Just every him, every win. That's not every, a knock on Mel Tucker. Like he's a he's a good coach. I actually sure. like him as a coach. I liked that hire. Um, thought they reached a little bit and he kind of, what he did, he did Colorado dirty a little bit and there was some poking fun about that, but like, he's a, he's a good recruiter. He seems to be good at building a culture. Like his guys are going to play for him. Like, I think he's a good coach yeah. for Jim Harbaugh to be in, like you said, in year seven versus year one and two year six and seven versus year one and two, you, you can't, you can't drop that game man. you can't go zero and two and they'll be in East Lansing, which obviously is a little bit hairier. So yeah, that'll yeah. be. That'll be interesting and, and to see. You you hate to say must win game in college football because we know every game is a must win game, but this is a must win game. He he just can't lose this game. No matter what happens for the rest of the season before or after, this is one that he just can't lose. No doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Going 0 2 against a new coach at Michigan State in the state of that program would be ugh, that would be I don't know. I don't know if you recover from that. Like you said, that 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 might that might be a, a nail in the coffin type of thing. When is that game? Yeah. Like, it's like late October. That again, is right? October 30th. 30th. So yeah. day before Halloween, late October, weather is yeah. probably going to be shitty, kind of sleety, overcast, cold. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be one of those games. And yeah. it, it makes me nervous, man. I, when I'm, you know, I'm not on the edge of my seat anymore for Ohio State. I just kind of sit <laughs> back and and let things play out the way that they're going to play out. When this game takes place, right? When this game takes place, I'm on the edge of my seat because I truly, you know, there's just there, there's something inside of me that knows it's going to be a battle. But I know Michigan has what it takes to win it, and and they better do that this year. Or it's like this when Ohio State has the ball. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. It's just I've watched it so much, man. I'm just I just I just have flashbacks. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I just have flashbacks of Paris Campbell outrunning Josh Metellus like he was a middle yeah. schooler. And I'm just like, yeah. what is happening here? All right, I have uh, I have Indiana next, man. I have just okay. been really really impressed with Tom Allen. He's kind of a nut. I I kind of dig it. He's kind of like he's kind of like a. Uh, 
Oh, I don't even know. He's what got he, a little Harbaugh in him. Kind he of. does have a little Harbaugh yeah. in him, and he's, he's like he's. I just said like I'm the lame ass sportscaster on TV. He's the he's the psychopathic weirdo head coach on a on the on a movie like on a on a you know on like a slapstick sports movie. Like he's that coach that's like smashing his face into lockers and shit before the games. Like he really does that stuff. So didn't one of his videos go viral where he was? It was a pregame and he was it was against Michigan, right? He was talking to his team before they went to play Michigan. He was frothing at the mouth. He was <laughs> yeah, like. That's it. He was Man. like he was like hammering things and like I think they went out and got beat, you know, and everybody kind of made fun of it afterwards. But they certainly weren't laughing at him in 2020 because that was an ass whooping on on Michigan's side. So. Yeah, 17 point win last year, and and he just has them doing the right things. A lot of it hinges upon Michael Penix and if he's healthy and ready to go. Um, as as a kill or ACL, I think he's dealing with an ACL, a, a year long injury basically. But he could potentially be back by the time Michigan and Indiana square off in early November, November 6th for that one. So yeah, we'll see how that one looks. So now we're getting into the hard, the hard opponents on the, on the, on the schedule. So I have Indiana as the fourth hardest opponent. Um, I, this it, it is in Ann Arbor this year, but still, I just, they, they're, they're punching above their weight. Penix is a dynamic player. They've got enough playmakers on offense. They just landed Steven Carr, the versatile running back from USC, who I think is, pretty good he's been hurt a lot as well but they just got a lot of things going in their right in their direction and they're a really confident bunch man and obviously they're going to lean on you know a three score win over michigan last year and not be intimidated at all even though it is in the big house i've got indiana in the same spot and you know i i know a lot of people like to say well tom allen's only had like one really good year or whatever the case is well yeah, but they're also, you know, you look at where teams are trending and where they're heading, and Indiana is trending up. And not only did they beat Michigan down, but they also, they they showed up and they played with Ohio State, right? And and Indiana was 6-2 and two and arguably should have, you know, been playing for a Big Ten championship based on the way the records were. I know things got a little hairy there. Or, or was it the Big Ten championship or was it the college football playoff spot? I know there was some controversy – controversy at the end there with Ohio State just based well, on the way things happened. It was it was it was only because Ohio State didn't play enough games. They there they you, were there you they go. were the better team. They had the much better they, they didn't lose. So sure. they had, they had the much better win percentage, but they they only played six games, whereas Indiana played. That's eight. right, and yeah. and I think the Big Ten rules were you had to play X amount of games or whatever the case was, so they had yep. to change things. Bottom line is Indiana was right there. They looked every bit the part of a legitimate conference championship contending team and so when you look at where these two teams stand heading into this year I feel like Indiana's got to be the favorite I mean they're they're ascending and Michigan is just treading water now will I feel the same way by the time we get to this game based on how both teams look I don't know but as of right now yeah I, I go with Indiana being the serious favorite in this one although I do have Michigan winning okay okay the third toughest as we're getting towards the top end of this schedule now so these are the hardest games third toughest i and i think you're going to have this second but i have penn state third i know it's probably uh a whiteout we, i mean we don't know that yet it's a ways off but it's it's at penn state it's probably going to be at night it's probably going to be a whiteout it's going to be a big time showdown i just keep thinking back to like they're they weren't very good last year and james franklin's kind of a clown and i don't really know what they're doing and like they're not as dynamic as they once were so there's a lot of things that make me feel like they're a little like michigan they're trying to figure it out a little bit they've got talent they've recruited well but i'm not that confident in james franklin i don't really know if they have an identity and so 
they're good. They're 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 as talented as anybody on the schedule, um, except for Ohio State, and 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 it is at at that just absolutely raucous you know environment in Happy Valley. So it's going to be a really really tough one. I just have them a notch below Wisconsin, who who we'll get to in a minute. But I have them a a, a hair below Wisconsin. So I have them as my third hardest team. Same. That's where I have Penn State as well. And it's funny because as you're going through your list where, you know, okay. All right. you know, uh, James Franklin is a clown. I'm not really sure what they're doing. I bet on Penn State side, they're saying <laughs> the same the same exact thing about Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. I don't know who they are. Harbaugh's a clown. Sure. They have no identity, well, but they've got a lot of talent. Right. And and so there are two programs that that seem to be in the same type of position. The only difference that I can see right now is going into a whiteout game. And I know that there's been some talk that the whiteout game might be Auburn um, earlier in the year. So we'll see if, if Michigan actually gets the whiteout game, but bottom line, if you got to go to happy Valley, whenever you got to do it and you're in Michigan, that stadium is going to be rocking. And this is one that I picked Michigan to lose simply because of the environment and Michigan has not proven that they can do well in this type of environment. And so if all things are equal, the both teams are, you know, seemingly in the same position, I give Penn state the edge uh, simply because they got the home field advantage and it's a really big time home field advantage. Yep, for sure. And I already mentioned I have Wisconsin as the second most difficult opponent on the roster. They have just beat Michigan down the last two years. They they know exactly who and what they are. It's at Camp Randall. They've got Graham Mertz, who I know had a little bit of a you know up and down season last year. Um, I just think they're really good. They're they're just they're just so good, man. They just do what they want to do. They don't make mistakes. If they want to run the fullback for 50 yards, they'll run the fullback for 50 yards. It's almost like I get the sense that Paul Christ is almost like he could just put like a checklist up on the board before the game and be like, we're, we're you know, he's got like no emotion. Paul Christ is like, I don't know if I'd love playing for the guy. I don't know what he's like behind closed doors, but I feel like he could just be like, you know, we're just going to go out. We're going to, we're just going to do all those things and we'll just win the game today. Cool. And then they just go out and do it. Like that's just, that's just business as usual for them. So that's uh that after a 40 point beat down in Michigan stadium last year, uh, it could be bad in uh, it could be bad in Madison. It really could. So I put them at number two pretty easily. Yeah, same same spot for me. And it's funny because Wisconsin is kind of the team that I think Michigan should be, where they've got big guys, they're well coached, they don't really do anything flashy, but they'll pound you, and and they're just a tough team to beat. And that's kind of how I I think Michigan football should be when they're playing at their best. Uh, but you got to go on the road to Camp Randall. You got to go play a well-coached team, and you've got to do it in early October. Uh, Michigan has a two-game losing streak to, to Wisconsin. They got their butts kicked last year. I just don't have any confidence that they can pull this thing out. I have Michigan losing this game right before the bye week. Um, I just my my hope is that they look like they belong on the field with Wisconsin. Here's it's funny that you say that you feel like Michigan should be like Wisconsin. I would have said that maybe like. 10 years ago. I think Wisconsin is as good as they will ever be unless they change things. And I, I like Wisconsin fans were probably like, no, we're, we're not changing anything. We don't recruit that well. And we win 10, 11 games and we compete for big 10 titles. Like, but, but I think like, I, I don't think they, they, they don't have enough offense to do, to do it with the big boys. They just don't. And, and yeah. that's, that's fine. If they're like, okay with that, if they're cool with Paul Chris doing what he's doing and double digit winning seasons and beating good teams like Penn state and Michigan and, you know, playing, you know, in the big 10 title game on the West, on the Western, you know, from the West side. Uh, but 
in order to in order to win anything of of real substance, you have to be you have to be oct- high octane. I just I think that's just the way it is now. Yeah, I remember what was it a couple years ago? There was like oh this this showdown between two really solid good teams, Ohio State and Wisconsin, and uh, I think Ohio State hung like seventy on them. Like literally, it was like. 70 to 10 or something. I don't remember yeah. what year that was, but I just think that they're, I, I think I hear a lot of Michigan fans say what you just said. And like, I pray that Michigan doesn't go back to like man ball, like pound it. Like well, I just don't, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. But the difference is if you look at the running back room that Wisconsin's had mm-hmm. over the last, you know, I, I don't know, the, 10 years, maybe yeah. play to the they, strength. Sure. They, they have some solid running backs. They, they just seem to, I, maybe it's the fact that they just have a true identity that I I'm enamored with. And the idea of performing like an Ohio state where things are open, you're slinging it everywhere and you're breaking off 50, 60 yard plays. That seems unrealistic to me right now, given where Michigan is. If Michigan is playing as well as they should be playing, I, I've always kind of viewed them in that same boat with Wisconsin where, and, and I know today's college game is different, but you know, it's more of that smash mouth. It's tough. It's grinded out. It's sort of wear your opponent down. Now, will that work in the playoffs against a team like Clemson and Alabama? Probably not, but it's good enough to at least have you legitimately in the hunt for mm-hmm. a big 10 championship. And unfortunately, I don't know that Michigan is, is, ever going to be legitimately in the hunt for a big 10 title unless things change dramatically because you've always got that same team at the end of the year and it is what it is and here they are number one on the list and that's um, forever and always amen right Ohio what a state. segue what a segue <laughs> right ohio state hardest hardest opponent by a mile um loaded with talent recruiting as good as anybody in the country i don't really care if it's cj stroud or jack miller or kyle mccord it doesn't matter they've got I think you could probably make an argument. They have the two best wide receivers in the whole country in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson with, you know, Smith and Jigba. And uh, the other guy escapes me. He was a freshman last year. He was the number one receiver in the country the year before that. I can, I can see his face. I can see his, I think he's number four. Anyway, they're loaded, man. They're loaded everywhere. They're just going to retool. They're going to reload. They're going to trot the best guys you've seen out there at every position just about. And, yeah, Michigan is a 11-point dog in that one as we sit right now, and I think it'll be double that by the time that game rolls around. I mean, if it's not, if it's not like something drastic, I think happened in for each, for one of the programs. You know, maybe Ohio State gets blasted by injuries, or Michigan really steps up, and Alan Bowman is a you know Big Ten Player of the Year type of play, type of candidate. I don't know, or, or whoever ends up playing quarterback. I keep saying Bowman because in my mind, I think he's going to win the job. But what, whatever it ends up being. Um, I just think that one's going to be pretty lopsided again. I, I haven't seen anything in recent years to to make me think otherwise. So Ohio State's going to be at number one for every Michigan fan who puts a, a list like this together uh, for all the same reasons they're number one every year. I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and and I don't even know what to add. I mean, if you're out there and you've watched the games, what else is there to say? It's yeah. just they they for whatever reason you can say. Well, they recruit more talent or the coaching is better or whatever, whatever it is you want to say. It doesn't matter what excuse you want to make for it. The bottom line is that they just destroy Michigan year in and year out. Michigan's had a couple opportunities to steal them recently, but they just haven't capitalized. And you and I have talked about the fact that you look at how, you know, how close a couple of those contests were to like changing the whole narrative about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football and where things stand. And I think with each passing year, 
where Michigan doesn't get it done, it just seems to become this a mountain that you cannot conquer. You know, mm-hmm. and and Ohio State feels even as a fan sitting back and watching the game, I don't go into these games anymore. Like I don't, I wouldn't even call what I feel hopeful. I'm I'm curious to see if Ohio State might stumble and fall, um, but I just I don't see any way. There, to your point. Nothing has happened so far that leads me to believe that the outcome in 2021 is going to be any different than it's been over the last two decades, minus one year where Ohio State kind of had a blip in the radar. All right, let's run down it real quick just for a recap. We'll start with the easiest and just alternate back and forth. I really think Michigan State was the only one we had really any differences yeah, on. sounds like it. And I shift if you shift Michigan State down to where they're at on your list, it pushes everybody else up, and I think they, they just about match. It was pretty close. So Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Western Michigan. Western. Rutgers. Rutgers. Michigan State, I have fourth easiest. This was our biggest difference. Northwestern. Then I had Northwestern. Nebraska. Then I had Nebraska. Maryland. (laughs) Then I had Maryland. Washington. Washington. Michigan State. Indiana. Now I got Indiana. Penn State. Penn State. Wisconsin. Ohio State. State. Yeah, so So, we seem to be on the same page with, you know, level of difficulty. And, you know, I think we just – there's not much separating – our outlook on how we think the season is going to go. It really seems like everything hinges on one game, you know, as crazy as it is. I think that that, that week two game is such, such a big game so early in the season that a win or a loss can really dictate how the rest of the year goes. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. We will hopefully, I think it sounds like we haven't gotten official word, but we will be on site for those games. I know Chris is jacked about that. I'm ready. I know Chris is excited about that. And I, I, I still get pumped up. I mean, I'm going into year eight, a year eight covering the team. Brady Hoke's first year was, or Brady Hoke's last year was my first. I've been there for all six of Harbaugh's seasons. So this will be my eighth year on the beat. And I was doing some stuff a little bit before that too. But I remember that first, that first time of walking into the press box, just being like, Dude, this is bad ass. It's just, and it's 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 not just because I grew up liking Michigan. It's I've been to a couple of away games too. It's so it's awesome everywhere you go. It's just a cool experience. I'm 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 very hopeful and looking forward to you being able to do that as you're now full time here with with Wolverine Digest. And I think it'll be it'll be cool, and we'll both get to see you know firsthand what that looks like week two, hopefully, and and we'll, we'll set the trajectory for the rest of the season. Um, haven't really decided yet if I'm going to be like an on-field person. I think, however, it shakes out though. You're going to be in the box. I mean, immediate well, thoughts. I'm going to give you the stage right here. Look at this. We're going to zoom in, Chris. What do you think about being in there in the I box mean, for this you stuff? Know, like I, you know, I long before I got into doing this, man. And I know that sometimes we catch some heat because we're critical of the team and some of the things we say. But I am as big of a Michigan fan as anybody else. You'll find out there. I want to see him do well. Being in the press box, I think, would be, uh, you know, for, for me personally, it's something that I've, uh, you know, kind of dreamed about, like getting into a position like that. And that's that's what I've been working toward for like the last five years, man. So I'm I'm stoked about it. And and I'm really happy to hear that it sounds like things are opening up and the uh, the possibility is becoming uh, more and more. I, you know, I mean, I can't imagine how they're going to have fans in the stands, but like the press isn't allowed to be there. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. I mean, I, you know, we'll see. Uh, we've talked about this before. I don't know what that means for post game stuff. Like, you know, 
putting 50 or 100 random slap journalists within eight feet of Jim Harbaugh and his team might not be the move, but I don't really care about that. I mean, if we're allowed to be in the box and be on, be on hand for the games, doing it live, I, I think that would be I, – I hope so, man. It would just feel feel really good to get back to normal a little bit in that regard. And, you know, then if there's some, some modifications for after the game and media availabilities throughout the week, like I'm cool with that. But I definitely want to be back in, back in Ann Arbor for the games. Um, it just gives you a much more – a much more of a, a real life feel when you're reporting on stuff and you can observe things on the sidelines and you can see stuff in pregame. And it's just, uh, it just creates for a much more immersive experience. So I'm excited for you, dude. I, I really am. I remember 100, how I, 102 days, man. That's right. I remember how I felt the first time and it's a, uh, it's something you won't, it's a, it's a, like a wave of just, damn dude like I'm, I'm in here bro like i'm in the big house press box. Like it's pretty cool. And yeah. look, like we've talked about this a lot when, you know, like, whether or not being a fan is the most uh, appropriate way to approach this thing. I mean, you know, we, Chris and I have had some talks about like, you know, we got to back it down or we got to do this or we got to do that. I think as long as we can keep it objective and come from an angle of, of yeah. criticism when it's warranted and, and praise when it's warranted, I think we'll be, we'll be fine. But, you know, honestly, I'll say this to you, dude, like it jades you a little bit. It does like going every week, every single weekend and you're, you're spending long hours at the stadium and, you, you know, you're watching a product that you're not that happy with as a fan and just a person who breaks down football after a little bit, you're like, I don't know. I think they killed my fandom just a little bit. <laughs> I think they killed my fandom a little bit, but well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, uh, the challenge of trying to maintain my fandom, man. Cause I've, uh, just like you, man, since I was a little kid, you know, like I remember, being in the living room and like not even having cable, but hearing Keith Jackson on the TV and like, like those are my memories of Michigan football as a kid. And it's just, you know, everywhere in the country I've lived, whether it was, you know, I lived out in Washington DC for a while, lived in Chicago for a number of years, everywhere I've ever been, Michigan football has kind of been like the one constant thing that I've always kind of had around. And it's just, it's always been such a big part of my life. And that's why I devote such a big part of my life to it. I love covering it. And regardless of how the season plays out, man, I'm excited to cover 2021 and you know, whatever happens, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. There you have. Well, I can't wait till they kill your fandom, dude. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. This is episode number 21, our Desmond Howard episode, man. There you go. Number 21 in the books. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will have the podcast edition posted in the morning along with more content, as always, at WolverineDigest.com.